As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is Sunday night and we are still living in a world in which Dan Snyder has agreed in principle to sell the Washington Commanders, to a group led by Josh Harris. Um, there's other rumors that are out there. I will address them briefly here in a moment, but let me just say uh, on the podcast today, first, we have two guests. First up, from the player perspective, the alumni perspective, Fred Smoot joins us. Uh, Fred Smoot, we, we discuss his view of the Snyder era. He was one of the early, on one of the very early teams. We went through... Uh, the good, the bad, uh, his view of uh, moving forward, and also got, got into uh, because look, Fred Fred Smoot is driving the 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 bandwagon for uh, Red Wolves. We had to ask what he thinks about possibly rebranding the name. In addition to that, my guy Tarek El Bashir, who of course is the Capitals insider for the Athletic, but Tarek used to be on the Commanders beat or when it was a different name at that point. Uh, he also like myself grew up in this area, so we caught up. Uh, you know, just what is, you know, wh- what do we think about the Snyder era coming to an end? Uh, where do things go from here? And speaking of rebranding, Targ and I did a story for The Athletic in 2021 before the commander's name was picked about the process. It was a really detailed story. So we revisited that to discuss what we think, if it makes sense, to start over with a name. And for you Caps fans, I did ask Tark about the coaching change there and where the Capitals kind of go from here to get better. So we'll get to all that in a moment here on the Standing Room Only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you do your podcasting. If you're not a subscriber yet, hit that button, subscribe, so you won't miss any of the podcasts. And I should say we had a really great week last week as well. Uh, the great David Aldridge joined me. Seth Emerson, who covers Georgia and the SEC, joined me to talk about the draft. Uh, We had a lot to uh, dive into last week. Now, as far also, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic. I I did my story last week about top priorities for the new ownership group, and we had tons of contributions kick in uh, last week because, obviously, this is pretty seismic news. Um. I do just want to quickly address some of these rumors that are out there. Now, first off, as a reminder, 
Snyder and Harris have agreed in principle to a deal for $6.05 billion. There are a lot of steps we still have to get through, uh, in ter- primarily the NFL Finance Committee having to uh, vet an, a signed agreement. But we're not there yet because the agreement is not signed. And, you know, until one is, I'm not going to go too crazy. But, uh, you know, and, and say done deal, nothing to see here. I, we'll see what happens. But, you know, it seems like we're heading in that direction. The deal is non-exclusive, though, as we reported the other day, which means that somebody else could come in now and 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 usurp uh, Harris's situation. Now, here's the thing. We have two groups mentioned uh, one is the group led by, uh, with uh, Steve Apostolopoulos, the Canadian billionaire, who, like Harris, his group had a bid roughly in the $6 billion range. Uh, I have spoken to somebody who believes that that, that, that group still is, um, thinks they're still alive. I, I don't really know if I if I buy that myself. Um, it's just not, you know, we I've talked about this a lot. It has just never quite felt right that this was going to be a potentially winning bid. Um and then you have this other weird scenario. Brian Davis, the former Duke uh, back college basketball player, supposedly is fronting a bid that will pay $7 billion, will pay all $7 billion within a week of the agreement being approved, um, that it will be an all-cash offer. This deal makes no sense on many, many levels. Um, there's no, uh, you know, unless the people who track net worth have just missed the fact that Brian Davis is a human being. He does not have anything close to this kind of money. I mean, I would I wouldn't knock anybody who has three million, five million, ten million. I, whatever he has seemingly is more in that range than in the billions. Furthermore, if somebody is gonna put up a bid for seven billion dollars or whatever, it's a this is a business but this is this is one of the biggest ego plays that any of these rich guys can make they want to be front and center they're they're kings of the universe when you own one of these teams and so to 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 not be putting yourself out front if we were to take this thing for serious the question would be who what kind of what kind of person or entity would be willing to to do that uh because again the 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 front person would need to be the um needs to put up the most money, and as I said, Brian Davis doesn't have that. The only thing I can kind of come up with that makes any sense would be if we're talking about like Saudi Arabia, some group from there from that country, seeing as how they have been investing big time in sports around the globe. That's the only thing that makes any sense. But again, I, I really don't buy this story. But look, we're gonna play everything out. You know, we play all uh, to, to to switch sports. We play all nine innings. So I'm not assuming anything, but that one just if I'm reading it right now, it just reads very, very, very far fetched. Um, and I just hard to fathom that that's a real scenario. So the Josh Harris focus, it, Josh Harris is where we maintain our focus. Again, we have a bunch of articles on The Athletic you can read about who Josh Harris is and uh, what might be coming down the line uh, should he take over and once he were to take over. All right. Um, so we'll, do, we'll we'll put a cap in it there for now. There will be NFL draft talk this week. I promise. It just feels right now that you know the ownership is the biggest deal. We all get it. Um, so we'll see what, what, what comes, what news comes Monday and Tuesday, and we'll get back to some normalcy hopefully with the NFL draft later 
this week. Um, all right, but that is it for for now. Let's get to these conversations. We'll start with Fred Smoot, then we'll get to Tarek El Bashir here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. All right, look, obviously we're dealing with uh, I don't know, historic times. Almost sounds a bit much, but it, obviously it's a big deal for any team when you're changing ownership, let alone when it's one that's been as controversial as this one here and getting the perspective of people who have been in this organization for a long time, played on this team is, is important. And we're going to do that right now with the great Fred Smoot is joining us. Um, what were you doing yesterday? It feels like this is one of these days where people are going to be like, okay, what you know, they remember where they were when some of this news came out. Where were you yesterday when this news came out? I was driving to Starbucks to get coffee when my phone started blowing up and, all the alerts and stuff like that. And and maybe I'm one of these people, I'm kind of in the middle of everything because I have a lot of love for the Snyder family. They have did nothing but treat me well from the time I get here and let me live my dream. So it was one of those things where I do see where the fans coming from, but I can say this, what makes a bad owner? I think uh, one thing is a cheap owner is a bad owner. I think we can never say, you know, the Snyders were cheap. Uh, I think where they get in trouble at was attention to detail and watching those who they employ and and, and and being really just the eyes over everybody. But other than that, you know, it's just one of them things I always tell people, watch for what you wish for because the years of getting uh, football family royalty, like we'll never be the Roonies because it won't be handed down generation to generation. It's only a couple of people with the Joneses and a couple of people that grew up in football as an owner and knows it. So whatever owner you bring in, he's going to have to learn on the job like everybody else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one good thing, I mean, we have no idea if Josh Harris will be a good owner in the wins and losses perspective, right? I mean, he, yeah. he, he there is a track record with the Sixers and the Devils, but that only that doesn't automatically mean things will work out or not work out here. Um but at least to that end, he is not coming in a sports owner virgin. Like he has gone through this. Yep. So at least at least to that extent, it should be, I would think, a relatively um smooth transition. If yep. if you were given the opportunity to speak to him, and maybe you will, but you you do yep. some work for that team, you're 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 a prominent alum. What's like the one thing you would say to him that based on your time here that he needs to do, whether it's on the field or off the field, or maybe one of each to, to, yeah. to get things get, getting back on the right track here. Well, first of all, off the field, I think address and conversate and address the needs of the fans. Like if we learn one thing, the fans make everything goes around. Don't forget when I got here in 01, you had to literally, and, I, and I'm not saying this as a joke. You had to die to get tickets. Like it was, it was a <laughs> yeah. very, it was a very hard buy and a hard buy in. Now to get the, the get the fans back into it, of course the sale of the team happens. It's similar to a restaurant when when you see a restaurant close and they say under new management, you're willing to give it another chance. All right, so that's where we at. So when you get these people butts in the seat, you got to give them for food that tastes good. Uh, you got to give them a different experience than they had at the last restaurant. So it's all about fan experience first. Second, you got to win, Ben. It's all about winning. You know the best, when something, a situation stinks, the best deodorant is going out there and win games. And I think that has everything to do with the quarterback position. I think on the field, you make sure a, a, a dynasty that has never, even in our winning days, 
We never had long relationship with our winning quarterbacks. Doug was here a short time. Joe got hurt. And Mark Rippon was here a short time. So even in our glory years, we still haven't had that quarterback that's here for 10, 15 years that you know every Sunday he's going to be there. So on the field that. And the third most important thing, you got to get that stadium back to Washington, D.C., where it belongs. And hopefully, since everybody's going to come running back to be a part of this thing, hopefully that happens with a smooth transition. Yeah, it is a, it is an interesting point you made, like, with regards to the quarterback in that one of the hallmarks of the Joe Gibbs 1.0 era was that he won a Super Bowl with three different quarterbacks, which also, as you're saying, suggests that they, for whatever the reason, and it wasn't, like, his fault, I mean, Joe, Joe Theismann obviously suffers the catastrophic, in, you know, the terrible injury. Um, Doug Williams was at sort of the back end of his mm-hmm. career already. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Rippon, you know, he stayed through the next uh, administration, but it, uh, you know, kind of faded off. And he was a six-round pick. They probably mined about as all they could out of him over, over time, but that they never were able to sustain it. And it is always the wonder, despite everything that went on around here for the last two decades, if somehow they had found that quarterback, if one of these quarterbacks, Patrick Ramsey, Jason Campbell, yes, Dwayne or Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins, RG three, of course, yeah, if one of them had stuck around for ten years and given you that higher level, how much of the negative of the Snyder era is would not be here? Hand? It would not. It would not be here. You bought up the main three, the big three. I think uh, uh, Jason Campbell. I thought Jason had all the tools in the tool belt. I thought one thing we did to ruin Jason was offensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator, set him back. Uh, of course, I think Alex Smith is a part of that three because with him, he had he brought stability. When he played, he brought stability, and we showed up and thought we would win. He got injured, a la Joe Theismann, and then we already know what happened with Robert Griffin III. You know, we got out to a good start. He gets injured. So it's been a little bad luck in there also. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to, to an extent, of course. I mean, there is of the, you know, he Dan Snyder oversaw the the whole thing. What when, when? Wait, I I should know this off the top of my head. What year did you get drafted? A uh, one. Okay, I got so drafted you, with Marty Schottenheimer. Marty drafted right. me here. So we should have kept Marty. That was right. the first thing. All <laughs> right, that was my that was my that's where I was going with this because. I've heard, people have heard me say this before. I was a fan of the team at that point. I grew up here. Um, you, you know, uh, I, I, I was I was paying attention before Joe Gibbs 1.0 even showed up. I'm I'm old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I quickly g- got concerned about Snyder, the three things I've always talked about: one, firing Marty Schottenheimer; two, mm-hmm. bringing in Jeff George when you already ha- and paying him more money. Then when Brad Johnson, when you already had a guy who was a good quarterback, he obviously later wins the Super Bowl. And then three, uh, I don't know if he's your buddy, but like when they when they paid Adam Archuleta to be the highest paid safety ever. Oh I, no, I I was pissed when it happened. Like no, 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 no. That 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 was one of those things where we were so enamored with going by other people's furniture out of their house at that time to yeah. make our house look good. We forgot to take care of our own. And that's why I love what he at right now. We have the John Allens, the Ron Paynes, the uh the Terry McLaurins, the guys that we drafted, that we re-signed. Some that we weren't good at. And then what you got to bring up in that starting in 01, 
we were still paying by the time it was time to re-sign me. We were still paying Deion Sanders. We were still paying Stubblefield. We were still paying guys that hadn't played for Jeff George. We were still paying those guys. Yeah, for sure. And so, so those were the three things I always call them the unholy trinity that really kind of made me put my emotions aside, and I was un- no, no more not no longer willing to commit the way you do as a fan. And then soon thereafter, I got into this business and I lost all emotion anyway. But you mentioned also the Deion Sanders thing. That was the other thing I thought that was the biggest mistake was, look, the the, the Joe Gibbs era had gotten, you know, the players had just got aged out, right? That, that was yeah. not the new thing. And yeah. North Turner, you know, whatever. It, he was as not. It just didn't work out as a head coach. But yeah. you still had some lingering aspects. You still had Brian Mitchell. You still mm-hmm. had Daryl Green. And mm-hmm. I always thought, like, Deion Sanders coming in, effectively X'd out both of those guys because it made Dion became the main corner, even though Daryl green was sort of still here and Dion was like a returner. And that meant, well, you didn't need Brian Mitchell in their head. And when when those guys left, I think that was the last end of any connection to that old era and what it meant to play for this organization. Instead, you got a bunch of hired mercenaries coming in, your Dion's, your Bruce Smith's, whatever, yeah. and there was no feel, it felt like, forever of what it meant until maybe, like you said, somewhat recently when your John Allen's um, and Terry McLaurin's have come in and, and started to establish something different. I always thought that was such a massive mistake. No, it was a massive mistake because the team lost his identity. You just said it. The, uh, they're a green 20-year veteran in this city. Uh I guess to him, it felt like anarchy. It felt like you forgot what I did 15 years. And and we know the relationship, Dale Green and Dion, and it's more of an alpha male relationship. You know, I don't think they really disliked each other, but you're right. No reason to bring him in when you just drafted Champ Bailey, a future Hall of Famer, putting him beside a future Hall of Famer. And don't forget, you got me coming a year later. (laughs) Right, absolutely. Um, And then, of course, Champ Bailey eventually gets traded. For Clinton Porterson, obviously, Clinton worst Porterson. trade of all time. Worst trade of all time. I got no feelings in it. Uh, Boku with both of them. I'm sorry. You don't trade a cornerback for a running back. You just, you don't. Like, it don't equate on the field. It doesn't. I, I Listen, I'm a big Liddell Best fan. It, it ain't too much Liddell couldn't do on that field. Uh, I, it just that when that happened, I was like not sure of my future. If Champ can get traded, yeah, Fred Smoot can get traded. Yeah, I mean, look, it's often been said that like Dan Snyder was playing like fantasy football owner. That trade was the epitome of that because I had Clinton Portis on my fantasy teams when he was in Denver. He won me a a, a Super Bowl in my league one year. I had him and Priest Holmes. Nobody cares, uh, yep. but like he was great, and it felt like that's what it was. And it wasn't just, of course, straight up. They threw in a second round pick. To get the lesser valued position, guy. get the lesser value guy, and also the guy that can't possibly play as long as the other one, the guy that can't affect as many games as the other one. A running back is only a luxury when you got a quarterback. We never had that, so why would you need that luxury? Like we can go shut people down on defense. That's what we do until we find a quarterback. We are fine with that situation, but I just thought when you did that. It kind of shattered the guys that was here. I know a lot of us talked about it, and I was, I was royally pissed about it. Like I, I didn't like it at all. So, I, and again, I understand, like on a personal level, the Snyder's were cool with you, but when you're yeah. playing, like mm-hmm. it became pretty obvious to, I think, on the outside that he was playing, maybe not direct GM, but like he's manipulating 
what's happening on the player side, bringing in Vinny Serrato, clearly his hand picked lackey to be, to be clear. Do you, were you guys at that point saying, wait, what is happening here? This is this, this owner is being destructive with regards to how the football team is operating. By far, by far, not the first owner to put his hand and his stamp into something. I think it had more to do with Dan. He was just excited. Like, I think people forget Dan grew up dreaming to buy this team. Like, yeah. this was not overnight. And once he got it, and this is the funny part about it, and I tell people this, and I had always told Dan this, let the people know you. And what they didn't understand, Dan is very shy. He don't like the mic in his face. And he feels very comfortable around football players. Like, we can't get him to stop talking. Y'all can't get him to talk. So that's that's the thin line and the difference. And I thought, I said, if you just let them know you and get to know you and see that you're a flawed individual just like the rest of us, it, it could temper down some of the stuff that's going on. But now you layer him quiet, him being mysterious, and then now he's a meddler. You got every reason to to hate him in that situation and no reason to love him. Just, just to ask, obviously we've talked about everything that's gone on over here in the last few years. As these stories, particularly in the last two or three years, kept coming out about the culture, about other aspects of the organization that led to various investigations. And you, you, you mentioned earlier that maybe his one of his biggest flaws was not paying attention to who he was uh, bringing in uh, mm-hmm. to do some jobs. But at any point when you're hearing all this, did, did you think, man, have I maybe misread this guy or what is happening here that, that this is all uh, coming out? Well, I like to be honest, man. I don't like to be hard on nobody. I don't kick nobody while they down. They're just never who I am. That's never who I be. I just thought maybe when you got a organization this big, I'm sure a lot of CEOs, Apple and other gigantic companies understand they can't micromanage everything. But that's why you hire good people to help you not do that. And I think a little brother-in-law ball came in there where you're hiring guys you you, you trust uh, that, you know, maybe that's the Vinny thing. And, you know, these are the things. And I guess if you got to say his worst hire, I don't think Vinny is the GM people point at. I don't think he's the guy that they point at. I think it's a totally different guy that everything is pointed at. And I think that's when you mean Bruce Allen, basically. Yes, I was. I was going. <laughs> I was letting everybody use their imagination. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's when everything got to the point of no return. You know how you can do stuff, do stuff, do stuff. We still love you. Do stuff. It's like right then when they couldn't figure out how to get a stadium, and he was brought in here for that legit reason. When he wasn't a leader uh, on and off the field. When he wasn't picking the guys like he should pick. Yeah, I think that changed everything. And in that, lost the fan base. Like, And I think that's where everything changed. Once you lost the fan base, now we became a ticking time bomb on them. Right. I mean, like, the RG3 thing isn't just about Dan or Bruce or anybody. RG3, you know, had his own, uh, put his own stamp on why this thing fell apart. And the injuries were obviously a huge he was, deal. He was, his own, he was his own worst enemy. Like oh. he was, he had everything in his hand and he was his own worst enemy. I said it, why, why he was here. It was, it was more about RG3 than it was the team. And you could tell by when they play football, you could just tell. <laughs> right. But like, that was at least sort of the high point of the Snyder era that, that first year because of RG3 was such a sensation. And it felt like such a letdown for whatever the reason why it fell apart. 
but it wasn't just an isolated incident. It, things had been falling apart all over the place. And then, you know, I know that like, Kirk Cousins was polarizing for some people, but when he leaves, you know, you, you're starting kind of over again. And then Trent Williams, you know, he is like the one guy from, you know, from 2010 on. They're like, okay, we can at least point to this guy for being a standout. Oh, wait, now he hates everybody here too. He's desperate to get out. And it, it, it felt like all those things in isolation, maybe you can survive in totality. You can't. And, and then when the reports began to come out about the culture to that degree, I think it's like, I, I, mean, I know personally a lot of people who, who moved on. Um, yep. Let me ask you this in the last couple of seconds uh, we, we have here. For the new owner, you ask mm-hmm. fans, what do you want to see from the new owner? A lot mm-hmm. of them bring up, we want a rebrand even though we just went through this. You write about this being, I keep hearing this. I keep, keep hearing it. I don't know if we can afford to do that. Now well, you are, you are the, you are the, the guy that was driving the bus on red wolves. Now yeah. I, I, I don't think anything can happen overnight. And I would think even if they're willing to do it, it can't be the first priority. You got a lot of other things to do, but for you, are, yeah. are, if, or if the ownership says, Fred, I know you like Red Wolves. I don't know if we'll pick that name. Do you think we should change the name again? Are you where, where are you at on that? I, I just feel like it's so much now. You got to realize if we change the name again, Terry McLaurin would have been a Washington Redskin, a Washington football player, a Washington commander, and then a Washington Wolf. Like it, it would just, it'll be too much change but i understand what you're saying but in business mind if i'm part of new ownership and i'm trying to recoup some money from when i buy it the the quickest way to make a billion dollars is a rebrand a rebrand that actually somebody wants it makes you a million i mean a billion dollars so it become an asset that you didn't have all right the only assets you get with this team are older assets fedex field is an older asset uh risk i mean the park is an older asset everything else is an older asset the only thing that you can get a print a billion dollars out the air is to rebrand. I don't know if they do it. Maybe they do because it says a fresh start for everything. And I think that's how they might think. Like, let's let's just burn the house down and let's rebuild a new stadium, rebuild a practice facility, take a new name into the future. Yeah, I can see this group probably saying that. But realistically, I just don't know, Ben, if you can do that. I, what do you think? You think you can really do that? I'm I'm kind of with you. I just feel, and maybe this is because of my role of like covering these things, but I'm just like, oh man, again, we're going to go through this. I, I would, I, I think ultimately, like, you know, look, the Green Bay Packers, Packers, what the hell is that? It means nothing except it's historic and they, and it became a winning name. The, right. the Chicago yeah. Bears, this is yeah. as generic as you can get for a mascot, but obviously mm-hmm. they've been a historic franchise. Time can change a lot, and if they were to start winning, whether it's with Ron or, or somebody else, mm. it's going to be different. You're going to feel like, oh, that, that name is mentioned constantly along with the Chiefs and the Cowboys or whoever it is being the front runners of the league. So I think I would give it time, but I think you're right. I get why people are saying it's not even about the name. It's just it, re- it represents something from Dan Snyder, and we'd like it all out. And that's and that's what it is. They could be the flying boogers of DC. If they win a championship, we're going to be there. Like we're going to rep them. We're going to be a part of them. Winning is the ultimate deodorant. When stuff stinks, just win. Um, before I uh let you go, you obviously I heard you uh talking to John Kime the other day. I didn't hear it, but I know you were on there. 
yeah. and you were uh, the draft is here cornerbacks i'll yeah. give you the pitch we've talked a lot about that here i haven't yeah. really talked a lot about emmanuel forbes the cornerback yeah. of mississippi state and i i can imagine why you mr famous mississippi state are interested but so is mel kuyper he's picked him in the first round why do you i don't know if you're thinking he's the best corner but you clearly yeah. like him give me the pitch why why is emmanuel forbes good and maybe good for this team all right, this is why he's good for this team. He's a uh, three-time All-SEC cornerback. He's an oddity. And guess what? Most of the time, Miss, I mean, uh, Mississippi State and the Washington team has a great relationship. Sweat didn't let you down. I didn't let you down. Every time we go to that well, it's a good well. And what you want to do opposite of St. Juice is have a whole nother animal. St. Juice is more of a knock balls down, not give you catches. You need a somebody that gets the ball back with this defensive line. If you want to take advantage of the defensive line, you got to go get a thief. Well, I got a thief from Mississippi that run a 4-3-5 flat 40. He's 6-2. He's, he's long. The best ball skills and most fluent hips in the draft. He's a, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because he's a bulldog. If he was at LSU, I would say the same. He has yellow jacket potential. All right, behind this D-line, he has Yellow Jacket Hall of Fame potential. I'm all about unicorns. I'm all about people who do not fit the mold. Well, it's a reason why they good, all right? Rajon don't fit the mold. There's a lot of guys do not fit the mold in this draft. He is a part of that unicorn group, and he's a part of a group that we can actually draft at 16. He He's also 166 pounds. I mean, you played the position. Yeah. That seems scary to me. When you factor in that he's dealing with 300 pounders around there, that he's going to get hit by somebody. Did, did that... it worry you when I was out there? I was only four pounds bigger. Did, did he... I miss games? I never miss games. Listen, he's been in the SEC at 160 pounds, starting for the last three years, and missed no games. Uh, he's been in the SEC, the closest thing to the NFL. He's missed no games. He's played against Devontae Smith. He's played against Jamar Chase. He's played against Jeff and Jefferson. He's played against the NFL's best at 166. No reason to, to look at it now and make it a problem. Uh, it's only a problem when he starts to mix game. And don't forget this, Ben. Two things happen the day he get drafted. He's going to eat a lot of steaks. He's going to lift a lot of weights. Right? That's what's going to happen. Fair enough. La last, last question. And I've only got about a minute here before I have to run. Um, players play. They tend to not worry about things like ownership because it does not affect them it at don't all. Affect them. So, but I guess my question is, we op they obviously, though, have been around all this for all, for all this time. How much of a lift do you think it will be for these guys to not have to deal with the Dan Snyder era anymore, even if they were somewhat oblivious to everything that was happening? Uh, just to go play football. You know, I think that's what's going to be a weight off their shoulders. They don't have to worry about any outfield drama, somebody sticking a mic in their face by the name of Ben Standing, asking him about off-the-field stuff. They don't have to worry about any of that. They can just go play football and be judged, the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to football. And I think that's there's going to be a lot of people, you know. I think who it really affects is the people in the front office, uh, Coach Rivera. These guys can just sit back and go do their job. Don't forget, when Coach Rivera was signed here, we asked him to do 23 jobs. We asked him to settle down our organization, get everything straight off the field, get everything straight on the field. We asked him to do so many things. Now he can focus on being a head coach. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think – I mean, people ask me uh, – I just did an interview with somebody right before we started talking and they were like, what's it going to be like for you to not have to deal with this? And I'm like, well, I mean, look, I, I, it's hard for me to go out and do anything because it feels like any minute something will break. I don't just mean the sale, but there were points over the last couple of years. We're just like, Oh my Lord, I can't, I, I, 
I got to be awake 24-7. I can't leave the house. And, and then I know you just want to report football. I know you got to a point where, like, damn, I just really want to talk about the team. Right. And so, like, if I feel that way, I can imagine the people who are inside the building actually having to to deal with it and see it and hear it. And, the, you know, you walk around the halls and the tone has got to be a certain way. And, you know, and then, you know, I don't know how much the players are seeing the people who the other employees, the the, the regular employees. But, like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, all those people have got to be miserable. So you're seeing mm-hmm. that, and it's just got to be just, ugh. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's that thing where the situation just got overblown. It, it snowballed. It snowballed, and it never stopped. It went from one story to two stories to now it's just nothing works over there. Like, at one point, something has to work. If the stadium is the oldest stadium in football, it doesn't work. Uh, the, the facility, oldest facilities in football, they don't work. Uh, the, the, the football players on the field, we're not winning. They don't work. So it's like everything, some has to be a good spot. Well, we'll see what happens. Obviously, it's not a done deal yet with Josh Harris, but certainly it looks like it's heading in that direction. So we will see, and maybe we'll see if Fred Smoot gets uh, somehow involved, get, gets, a, gets a big role. You already have a role with Logan Paulson breaking down a lot of tape on yeah. for, for the team site. But, like, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a room for the, the, mouth of the mouth of the South to, you know, I don't know, assistant hey. GM someday. I don't know. Yeah, I love it. I love putting teams together. That's my dream job is not to coach, it's to be a GM. I'll be a scout first. I do what I like. I like to find players and good GM. Anybody can draft Chase Young. Can you draft him? Can you find a Cameron Curl? I think I'd be good at doing that. Other than the fact that it would take you away from the airwaves and we wouldn't hear you if you're going to be a scout, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll endorse uh, that. Uh, go check Fred out, of course, on the, the commander's website. And uh, always entertaining, always insightful. Uh, Fred, I really appreciate the time. Anytime, B. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, uh, as promised, joining me here on the podcast, a uh, former member of the Washington, well, he wasn't ever a member of the Commander's Beat Corps, but you know what I mean. Uh, and, of course, he is our Capitals insider for The Athletic, who also, like me, grew up in this area. And, therefore, the idea of Dan Snyder selling this team uh, resonates with him in multiple ways. It is the uh, the legendary, certainly in his own mind, Tarek El-Bashir. Tarek, how, uh, What's up, ben? How, are, how are we doing? Are you, uh, you Look, you've got a lot going on. The Capitals have just made a, a, a coaching change or they or they're moved on from the guy who's been their coach. So you've got a lot going on over there. But, you know, in the grand scheme of D.C. sports, Dan Snyder uh, agreeing to sell the team in principle is obviously seismic news. So you've been watching this from afar. What uh, did you think we would actually get here? 
You know, it, it felt like over the past year, you know, I, I, I try to keep tabs as much as I can. Um, you know, the Commanders were the were the first team I fell in love with and, and followed as a fan growing up uh, in Silver Spring, Maryland. So, I, of course, I, I keep tabs. And I, I felt like the momentum had been gathering for for a year. And, and once we started hearing that, you know, he had retained, uh, Dan Snyder had retained a company to look into it. And I was like, okay, we're, we're moving in that direction. I, I think this is going to happen. You know, uh, sales of, of this scope and size and the amount of money that's going to be changing. And I, I figured it was going to take a while. Um, um, so I, I was kind of, uh, maybe a little surprised at the timeline that, that it, it seems like it's, it's, uh, moving towards completion, um, here in the next little bit. But I, I mean, if you were, if you were to like commandeer my laptop or my phone and look at the searches <laughs> over the past year, there's been a lot of commander sale, Dan Snyder, you know, whenever I have a little bit of downtime, I was searching because, you know, like I said, it was a team I grew up cheering for and, and it hasn't been very good in a long time. And, um, you know, for a while there, I, I'd been following the Ravens a little more closely. And I, I feel like, I feel like with a change of ownership and the expected change of culture within within the building in Ashburn, I, I feel like maybe they could get things going back in the right direction. And who knows, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll buy some tickets uh, and, and, and go, watch, go watch a game at FedEx Field. Um, well, I'm sure they would, they would welcome your patronage. Um, when you covered the team initially, you did so – for NBC Sports Washington, who had a you know uh, business relationship with uh, the organization, that's why you were you know famously yep. part of the Kirk Cousins. Uh, uh, oh wait, <laughs> you I'm, like that? You like that? Yeah, sorry. How could I be blanking here? You like that? You're because you're there in the bowels of the stadium after a game. Um, with that oh, yeah. said, so did you ever like have any interaction with Snyder or was there something do you recall some moment in time that for you sort of was a good example as to kind of all the things that were going kind of wrong behind the scenes? Not really. I, you know, I was still um, treated as a member of the media. Maybe, uh, you know, because I did stuff in the studio in the building, I was in there a little bit more um, than, than maybe like a, a Washington Post beat writer, but I, you know, I wasn't privy to what was going on behind closed doors um, from, you know, a firsthand standpoint. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, I was for the most part uh, treated like another member of the media. So I, I wasn't privy to everything that was going on behind closed doors, but I, I guess I did get maybe a little more um, uh, perspective on what was going on inside the building. Cause I was in there going to the TV studio and other things. And the, the thing, the thing that struck me always having covered pro sports now for a couple of decades was just how important culture is. And I, I've already used that word once, but then the, the, the culture to an organization, um, professionalism, um, uh, you know, it, it starts at the top, it trickles down. And I, I just always got the sense that, it was a little frat boyish, like, 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 like it wasn't, you know, the few times I went into other organizations, front offices or, or in their buildings, like the Ravens or other places where, you know, I might've been for a little bit, it just felt more buttoned down and more like fortune 500 ish. I mean, these are, these are billion dollar operations. I don't know. It, it, it's, not, it's not a great explanation. Then I, I hope you're kind of following me, but it just felt a little more loose and, um, maybe like more mom and pop-ish, you know, like, you know, the NFL is this 
huge billion dollar organization and it just didn't feel like things were handled there all the time at the level of you know a billion dollar organization well and i think that makes sense right because it's not like a lot of, oftentimes when these new owners come in especially now they are heads of something um you know the, the and and dan snyder i mean i know snyder communications existed and i don't want to be overly dismissive but he was like so young and that business in and of itself felt kind of you know uh did it, it didn't feel, yeah yeah so i you know actually like i mean i've i agree with you completely i've i say this all the time the tone of any organization starts at the top and obviously in this case you know the the, the tone was pretty wretched uh throughout so uh you know i i can and then you know when if you're just hiring more or less sycophants to come in and, and do and do it with you then it's not going to to change unless you seek the change and clearly he really didn't until maybe he got all the way to ron rivera um you know all these right, years right all these years later I, I, speaking of that i'm just curious like with regards to the caps which is a team obviously you cover now and i've covered the most i mean i certainly have had my criticisms of ted leonsis but largely they stem from like trying whether he's trying to win or not win and even from like a culture perspective it's like you know in terms of like the wizard like he gave john wall like too much freedom and that ultimately maybe like you know bit everybody in the butt at times what, what, what's your what, what about it from that perspective like the capitals of obviously this year is a disappointing year not making the playoffs for the first time in a while but by and large they've been a pretty good team how do you like com- sort of compare those two things the way you sure. were just sort of talking about the commanders yeah, so you know, I covered Ted Leonsis basically from the beginning of his of his uh, stewardship of the Capitals and, until you know right now. So I, I've kind of got a you know a couple decades um, of uh, perspective here, and you know early on, you know he was he was uh, you know younger and maybe brash and you know like a lot of you know wealthy powerful businessmen, you know I, I feel like he probably thought he knew more than than maybe he did, but. The, the key difference between Ted Leonsis and Dan Snyder, at least when it comes to running the, the, the capitals was Leonsis recognized. I feel like relatively early on that, Hey, I, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I need to hire hockey guys who've been in the game for a long time, hire people that I trust, give the keys to them, give them the power to make decisions uh, without my interference, and and let them run it, and and for by by um, uh, for the most part, that's that's how things have gone. I would say, you know, probably since five years into his ownership of the Capitals, and and what you've seen is the results of allowing, you know, hiring the hiring people that you trust, hiring competent, strong people, and then letting them do their jobs with with minimal interference from from uh, ownership. And, um, you know, I feel like that probably started with um, hiring George McPhee, uh, the, the, the general manager, um, the, the previous general manager of the Capitals. And then now it's, um, you know, been in Brian McClellan's hands. He, of course, made the, the tweaks that led them to the Stanley Cup in 2018. Um, you know, again, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on the calls and in the board meetings, but it's my, as someone looking from the outside in, it looks like Leonsis, you know, while he's the owner and, ultimately ultimately is consulted on the big decisions like he'll be consulted on you know uh who replaces peter laviolette he of course is consulted on whether you sign alex ovechkin to a to a contract extension the big stuff of 
course comes across his desk. Um, um, but I, but I, I don't get the sense that he's in on every single little thing. He, he hired Brian McClellan and he lets him do his job. Uh, yeah, well, that's certainly not something that, uh, Snyder was doing uh, for the most point of his era. Uh, I want to talk to you about the branding, uh, the possible rebrand in a sec, but I just thought of something. Obviously, you're an NHL guy. Uh, Josh Harris owns the Devils. I just the other day had on our 76ers reporter to discuss his view of covering a Josh Harris team and what that's like. I know you've never covered the Devils, but obviously, as based on what you've been doing, you you know paying attention to the whole league, and you do actually cover the league nationally for uh, Turner uh on tv so and 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 you you can say no but if you don't have any but any thoughts on josh harris from that perspective in terms of things you've observed or heard over the years of him covering the devils so so i don't know josh um uh but i but i will say um he's got a really strong reputation within nhl circles and again look at look at the results on the ice i mean the Devils are one of the best teams in the league, and and you know they've been built um, over the last few years around a number of young, strong stars, and um, uh, you know their window just got flung open. Like the Devils are going to be good for a long time here. I mean, their best players are you know twenty four years old and younger. Um, um, you know, I, I again, I, I my perception is. He hires the general manager. Uh, in this case, it's Tom Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald hires the coach, and they kind of go from there. Um, so it, it's it's my um, it's my it, it's my impression that um, that's another well-run team. And and let me tell you, the Devils are going to make some noise in this year's playoffs. But it, they they really remind me of the Capitals circa 2010, um, uh, where the core of their of their uh, team is in their young twenties and they're, and they've kind of come through, they've kind of come up together and they're about to be really good for, I would say the next six to eight years. All right. I mean, the one thing, my, my biggest takeaway, obviously I follow more the Sixers more than the devils and the Sixers have had some really interesting, a really interesting journey over the last decade, but in general, it feels like both organizations sound normal. And compared to here, yeah. that, like yeah. that, good. It's just we, you know, yeah. We're yeah. not we're not talking about winning titles, even. Just oh, things sound functional. Okay, well, sounds there's like not crazy stuff going on. There's not crazy headlines. You're exactly right. And, and the Devils were, you know, are, are a team that's got strong pedigree. You know, had won some Stanley Cups before, um, uh, before Harris took over. And um, uh, it, you know, it, it, he seems like a guy who came in, assessed what needed to be done made some decisive um, uh, choices and now has them pointed in the right direction. And again, like the devils are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the Eastern conference for years to come here. I mean, their window is just now opening. Um, All right. Let me ask you this before I get to the caps, you and I way back in the summer of 2021 uh, did a little story on the athletic. The headline is, can you rename the Washington football team? simulation shows it may be quote mission impossible end quote uh and we we did this uh, project where we had a marketing company help us out we we organized multiple um what do you call those uh, st- uh consultants 
No, no, no. What do you, when, when you bring everybody together uh, to be like a panel? Focus groups. Focus groups. Yeah. Boy, I, I, my, I, my brain doesn't work anymore. Okay. Yeah. Focus groups. And it was, it was, a, it was a fun project. Again, the headline is Washington Football Team. So this is before the Commanders, and we went through this whole thing about you know the process and why it takes twelve to eighteen months and how you can look at it and what are the different things. Ironically, Command was actually one of the names that our consultants came up with. They land on Commanders. One question I didn't ask, I don't think at that time was, what are the NFL rules for rebranding again? Because now everybody wants them to rebrand this again, another, right, like, they, this is like one of the big things they want the owners, to, new owners to do, is change the name, because nobody seems to like Commanders, either because it's associated with Dan Snyder, it's overly generic, and obviously there's a faction that just wants, you know, was not going to like any name after Redskins, and okay, there's that. As somebody who is sort of a little bit of distance from now, where are you on this particular topic, and having gone through this exercise, like, what do you think about going through this again, if they really are going to do it, to actually go through the branding process again? I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you a really dumb answer, uh, but I think a lot of people that I talk to kind of feel this way because this has come up in some some personal chat, some barbershop conversations. We hate the name Commanders, but I also hate the idea of changing it all over again just a few years after uh, you know making a switch. I, I I I I'm not sure I can deal with. I mean. People still call them by the previous name still. I mean, people are just now starting to switch over, you know, colloquially and kind of just in conversation to calling the command. I cannot imagine them going through another rebrand. Um, that said, Commander stinks. I do not like it. Um, I thought it would grow on me. It has not. I, I don't mind the the um, the logos. I, I like the all-black uniforms, even though that's not traditional. I thought those looked pretty sharp. That stuff doesn't bother me. Just commanders is so generic and boring, and yeah. it just it doesn't do it for me. Uh, but I can't, I, cause I just I can't go through another six months of you know uh, uh, you know hearing about focus groups and oh they're changing this and they're changing that and these are the these are the five finalists you know these are the five names I'm thinking of. I don't know that 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 bothers me as well. Um, that, that said, I you know I wonder if. If part of the agreement between Harris's group and the NFL is going to include some language about having the opportunity, because I, I know the league would not be happy about changing the name again either. But I wonder if if Harris's group feels as strongly as as the fans that I talk to on a daily basis feel about Commanders, because that that's the game changer. That's what really matters. Is you know is part is it is it part of the agreement? Is it something that's already been discussed? Is it on the table? Um, I mean, I'm kind of trying to put myself in in Harris's shoes. You know, I'm I'm spending six plus billion dollars on the team, and I know people aren't crazy about the name. Name, I don't know. Maybe I put some language in the contract, or at least bring that up with Roger Goodell as I'm, uh, you know, going through this process. That hey, what what would you guys think about us possibly changing the name? Um, I don't think it's a I don't think it would be a deal breaker, but it's something I'm sure. I would want to have discussed before, before uh, putting the finance, uh, <laughs> putting the the, the the papers in order. Yeah, yeah. No, and and I, I did see somewhere online, maybe maybe it was John Kine, but somewhere I had like it could be like a a five year waiting period. But it just seems like such a weird thing because, you know, how often does a team change their name? And I, I, I think I'm generally with you. Commanders does nothing for me, but I go. And admittedly, part of this would be as a uh, 
person covering the team was like, oh, no, uh, not again. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I think also, like, look, if they were to start winning somehow, people will get over the name. But it is, yes, it is absolutely. interesting to see with new business people coming in what they, what they think, um, what they think about it. Well, I, I mean, you know, one thing that just uh, came to mind, I mean, what if, you know, obviously before you make a transaction of this magnitude, you've got, you've got an, an entire team of financial people, probably marketers coming in. What if they've already done some focus groups and those focus groups have come back to Harris and said, by the way, you're not going to make a whole lot of money um, on the marketing side of things with that, with that name. No one likes it. It's very unpopular. And again, I wonder if he's already, you know, this is just total speculation on my part. I wonder if he's already, you know, greasing the skids or at least having conversations about, Hey, you know, I'm spending a lot of money on this team. That name is going to hold us back. That needs to be part of this part of this uh, agreement is, is that we are going to be allowed to change the name, even though that would probably um, not make the NFL happy and will probably break with protocol. I can't think of another pro team. I mean, pro teams don't change their names much at all, ever. I, I can't even think of another one recently other than, what, the Cleveland Indians? Yeah. Um, uh, there have been some college teams as well. But, I, I mean, twice in the span of a, just a few years, that, that – that would seem to, um, that would seem to be a bit much. It, it, w- it would probably, uh, probably weaken the NFL. In the NFL's eye, it probably would feel like it weakens their brand a little bit too. Just you know, having a team change its name twice in in just a handful of years. Uh, agreed. All right. While I have you here, the the foremost uh, Capitals authority in town. Before I give you my highly uninformed take of the situation, give us the basics here. They changed Peter Laviolette out. By the way, what timing? It sounds like that this was kind of assumed that there were going to be a parting of the ways because his contract was ending. But to announce it the day after Dan Snyder is is agreed in principle to sell the commanders, it is like the ultimate taking out the trash uh, timing there, even if it was somewhat obvious. But what what's the deal here with, with that? It was also at like five thirty on a Friday afternoon. I mean, I mean, you got to give the Capitals credit. Yeah, they definitely <laughs> timed that one nicely. They snuck, it right in there. they snuck it right in there. I look. I it was my sense going into this weekend that Ryan McClellan, the general manager, was going to take his time. He was going to talk to the veteran players. He was going to talk to the assistant coaches. He was going to talk to ownership and then make a decision on whether to resign uh, Peter Laviolette. It's my understanding that. Peter, pretty much after the, the season-ending loss uh, to the Devils on um, Thursday, basically said, hey, listen, um, let's just let, let, let's talk Friday morning. I, I don't want this to, to linger. Um, I don't want this to hang over my head for the next few days. Coaching changes are going to start happening around the league, and if you're not going to bring me back on, the, on terms that I'm comfortable with, let's have that conversation in the morning. So uh, he called the meeting. They met Friday morning relatively early they decided to part ways and so this was as much about um the capitals wanting a different voice in the room or leaning in that direction as it was laviolette who is the eighth winningest coach in nhl history 58 years old you know he's probably only got only got another another you know kick at the can in him maybe two um you know he wanted to be a free agent as these jobs start to come open so he can kind of you know, get a get a jump start on finding his ne- next destination, and I have there's no doubt in my mind that he'll get hired somewhere. Um, you know, so far Anaheim, Anaheim is candidates coach, um, uh, Columbus is candidates coach. 
those are two teams that are young and I don't want to say rudderless, but they're, they're not really headed in the right direction. It doesn't feel like something that, that lot, a good fit for Laviolette, but there are going to be other changes here in the next uh, two weeks as teams, you know, that didn't make the playoffs make decisions on their head coach and teams that get bounced quickly in the first round and maybe underachieved are going to be making changes um, to their head coach, uh, to their head coaching position. So, um, um, it was as much about the cast as it was about La Violette. So it really was, um, you know, sometimes teams say, oh, we're, you know, it's a mutual parting ways when it really just was them not renewing a contract. This really was mutual. I think both sides said, okay, listen, you know, we're not sold on you. You want to get a head start on possibly going somewhere else. Let's just, let's just call it a day and uh, go in our separate ways. All right. I saw you have a story up on the, on the athletic of going through some of the potential candidates, including, uh, former cap and local guy Jeff Halpern. I'll encourage everybody to go check that out to see Tarek's views on the candidates. Here's my hot take on the caps, and then I will let you uh, go on here. Uh, as you know, I pay attention to what Ted Leonsis does with the Wizards, and he is constantly afraid. It seems obvious that he is just so afraid of starting over up because of what that would mean for, like, not just some revenue, like you're missing out on playoff revenue, which they did this year anyway, but also, like, Fans won't like be able to stomach it, uh, a rebuild. I, I, I don't know. Uh, that's what it seems to be. He hasn't had an issue with that with the Capitals because they've been pretty good for the almost the entirety of the Ovechkin era, including obviously winning a cup and, and being a President's Trophy winner and things like that. But they are at a point now where if they were on a different team, it would be seemingly obvious where you say, okay, we got to start dealing away some of these veterans and replenish the farm system and rebuild and all that kind of stuff. Except that you've got this Ovechkin deal here where he is chasing Wayne Gretzky for the all-times goal leader. And I, it, it would be, it's very cool when you see athletes these days stay with one team the entire time. But, and, and I'm not suggesting they should trade Ovechkin because that would cause massive upheaval, I would imagine, within the fan base. But simultaneously, you also have to keep enough people around to give Ovechkin a chance to to um to, to do that so it's not just like you know uh, he's on, he's on a, a team with a bunch of rookies and he's not doesn't have enough help to get there to possibly break the record so they have to keep having like this sort of kind of a team that maybe you could like squint at and say if 23 things work they can contend but realistically that's not going anywhere which is probably why laviolette's like let me get out of here this isn't there's nothing going on here so the capitals are stuck in this middle ground it's different than the wizards because there's an objective here with Ovechkin, except that, and it's a money-making objective, because people will keep coming out for him, but in terms of going anywhere, it feels like this is going to be a long slog to nowhere. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong, though, because, again, I'm paying not, I don't know about the prospects or whatever, but it doesn't seem like they got a lot of money, a lot of assets, a lot of things other than Ovechkin, and they're not going to get rid of him. You're not wrong, Ben. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, look, they're going to try and execute something that's really difficult, but teams have done it, and that's rebuild the team on the fly. Uh, it's, it's my understanding they're going to try and be very aggressive this summer in, you know, moving some potentially some some fan favorites who make a lot of money. Uh, they're going to try and move move um, away from those players and um, also use some of the draft capital that they acquired at the deadline to go get some younger players uh, from teams that maybe are starting to run up against the cap. Um, it's going to be really hard to do. It's going to be really hard to do it. And, and you, 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 you nailed it. I mean, and if we're being honest with ourselves, we always knew it was going in this direction. We always knew it was going to end this way. 
I mean, once they re-signed Alex Ovechkin, you knew that the commitment was to number eight, his pursuit of Wayne Gretzky, and that they were going to be an older team that's, that was capped out and was going to have some, some difficulties. Um, you know, they hoped that they were going to continue to be able to, you know, at least get into the playoffs, which, you know, the NHL is the most random of all the tournaments. I mean, things happen, you know, seven, seventh and eighth seeds seem to get further in the NHL playoffs than they do in, in other leagues. But it, it feels to me like it was always headed in this direction. And right now, all they're really left with is kind of a Hail Mary. And it's going to be really hard to execute. But they've got a good general manager. And if they get the right coach, and let's say they're able to move on from, you know, some of these older guys who are kind of weighing um, um, on the cap, you know, like a TJ Oshie, that'd be really painful. Just say, just mentioning TJ Oshie potentially changing teams, you know, probably, you know, tugs at the heartstrings of Caps fans get so much to this team. Maybe, you know, Nicholas Backstrom, you know, they got to clear some cap space. Uh, so, again, I mean, you painted a pretty dark picture there, and I think the Capitals are hoping against hope maybe that they can somehow find their way out of it. But if I'm a Caps fan, I'm, I would be bracing myself for the next two to three years being all about the OB chasing number 99 show and, Eventually, they're going to, have to hit the hit the reset button and just tear it down. Um, that's not to say that they can't do what they're they're attempting to do. It's just it's so so hard. I mean, if you go back and you look at other teams that are that have kind of gone through this, you know, Chicago just you know just got rid of Jonathan Taves and traded Patrick Kane earlier this year. Um, the L.A. Kings, you know, won a couple of cups and they've kind of been in purgatory ever since. Um, if you're if you're a Capitals fan. The one regret right now, as we're kind of entering this phase of uncertainty, is the Caps didn't win multiple cups. I think if they had won two cups, you could look at the fact that they were going to—they were at this stage where it's just about Obi chasing Wayne Gretzky and go, well, "We won two championships. What else? I mean, this is this is the cycle of life in pro sports. You you bring in a bunch of young stars, they they win a couple of championships, they get older." Then you do it all over again. The, the 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 difference here is they won one cup when they probably should have won two and maybe challenged for three. And that that would be the one regret if if things continue to head in the direction that they're heading right now. Well, that that that's a, a conversation for another day. I want to do like a hot take episode. And I have one about uh, the Ovechkin era and how we're going to look back on it over time. Even though he he is great, but uh, like you just said. Ultimately, they didn't get a, a. They haven't won enough, so that's why, like, uh, yeah, this petering out feels more frustrating, perhaps, than it would be if they had uh, sure. p- put up a, a couple other that's banners. Fair that's, that's fair, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, look. Uh, despite my dark view of this, Tark, as you can tell, is is, is the optimistic guy, and he's gonna. You know, Ovechkin, cover Ovechkin is gonna be great, and they've got you know, sports is fun, and like Tark said, you get in the NHL playoffs. Anything can happen. We'll see what the Caps do this offseason. Anything off season. can happen. Sure. Yeah. Anything can happen. All right, go follow Tarek uh, on Twitter, at Tarek. Uh, wait, what is your uh, – uh, uh, at Tarek underscore, underscore. L-Bashir. Uh, go read him on The Athletic. 
And uh, are you, are we still making Taco Bell jokes, or are we done with that? Are you have you, have you uh, grown up? To, we're I've, done, man. I, I lost thirty five pounds by cutting carbs, and Taco Bell is not really not really part of my uh, my weekly diet. I, I will say that every once in a while, I will have like a burrito or something when I'm on the road, and I just don't have time to go eat healthily. But it, it it's not like it's not like before where I was kind of obsessed with it and and uh, eating it far too often. <laughs> All right, good, good, good for you. I've, I've I've fallen back on bad habits. I gotta get I gotta I gotta get like you now. Come um, on, Ben. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll work on it. This is my off season uh, pro- program. Uh, all right, man. I appreciate it. Enjoy. Uh, well, you got a busy off season that you're uh, on your own here. So good luck with the coaching search, yeah. and uh, we'll talk soon. Anytime, man. Thanks for having me on.